0: We are coming down the home stretch here in our class on biblical manhood and womanhood. We've talked a bit in the beginning, quite a bit, about um, uh, male and female roles in marriage and the family and so on. And it seemed to be appropriate to include a portion here on how manhood and womanhood apply to singles, uh, single adults. And, um, so I'm on page, on lesson 11, single manhood and womanhood, page 54, and wanted to start with um, some significant passages from Scripture that uh, give a good background here. Uh, although the, the bottom line, I guess, is that although marriage is very good by God's design, he created it, he designed it, and uh, uh, he performed the first marriage ceremony after all, in Genesis 2. And uh, However, there are several advantages to singleness, even as adults. And so one of those we see from a couple of passages in in, uh, the New Testament is that it frees a person up to be focused on the Lord, right, and on serving him in whatever capacity he would choose. And so there's an extended passage here from 1 Corinthians 7 that uh, I wanted to read, and then I'll follow that up with this passage from Matthew And so in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul, of course, he's been writing here uh, with various instructions for uh, those who are married, uh, those who are contemplating divorce, and, and so on. But in verse 25, he begins, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think... Then, that this is good in view of the present distress, and that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Yet, such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren... The time has been shortened, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they have none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as those who did not rejoice, and those who um, buy as though they did not possess, those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, that he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried, and the virgin, is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, in, uh, both in body and spirit. The one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband, This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, And has decided this in his heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So, then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Um, And let me go ahead and read also here from Matthew 19, where Jesus said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, well, if the relationship of a man with a wife is like this, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was able to accept this, let him accept it. So, um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is addressing a a series of, of circumstances related to marriage or divorce, singleness, and so on. And here when he's speaking particularly about and to singles, he makes it clear that he sees the the current moment in time when he was writing as being a moment of, what's he call it, distress, the present distress, and um, uh, that, what distress is he talking about? Well, it's going to be this increasing um, persecution persecution against um, uh, Christians, and um, they're living in a very, pagan context in Corinth and um, he was seeing in his own life the advantages of being uh, much more flexible to be serving the Lord and and so on. And so he was commending that for singles to consider that uh, they would be able to do, as he says, sort of following his example of not being... um, Uh, married during this distressful time that uh, was apparently already beginning but was certainly going to get worse. Um, So he's highlighting that there's an advantage to singleness. Whether whether one would always be single uh, is a separate question, but he, he does raise a good point that those who are uh, unmarried, particularly young adults who are not yet married, uh, they have a lot of flexibility to focus on uh, serving God in ways that will be somewhat more limited if they're married, they have children, they've got responsibilities there. Um, and so that that basic principle is still good. You know, that's still a... a um, wise look at that period of life, Uh, as opposed to what might be a sort of a natural tendency is to be longing for marriage and uh, kind of frustrating that it seems like it's taking forever, (laughs) Um, rather than be focused with those anxieties, what his counsel here is to focus on the Lord. And um, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to always be single, uh, but during this period of time, there are great advantages. Take advantage of those opportunities. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, so yeah. Paul was a Pharisee. He had to been
1: married a long
0: time. Probably. Um, we don't know much about that background, do we? Yeah. Um, so that's we, we know a bit more about some others, mm-hmm. but very little really on anybody. We know that Peter had a mother-in-law, so he was married even before Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to be I, I I don't I don't know if that was um, always the case, or if there were exceptions. And, and certainly, we don't have any data on his background, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was operating from his current position, regardless of whatever his former position was, and that is um, he was unmarried and very flexible. There's no way he could have um, had the ministry he did if he were married. Um, it would have not that he wouldn't have any ministry, but it would be a whole lot different from his flexibility and, and so on.. Um, and so the general principle from his advice here and his experience is make use of that time of singlehood uh, um, to the max. Make use of it. And Don't, don't squander those opportunities is what he's saying. Um, now in Matthew 19, it refers here to eunuchs. Now, what was a eunuch? A eunuch was someone, um, and it says here, um, there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. means they were, uh, I guess it's kind of rare, they were unable to reproduce uh, from birth some kind of genetic defect. And there are eunuchs who were made that way by men, Typically, those were well. We hear about the Ethiopian eunuch, right? In Acts, Uh, a eunuch in um, a um, let's say a a royal court um, would look after the harem, typically, and the king didn't want somebody overseeing the harem who would be competing with the king for those women. And so he would make him, uh, I guess, castrated or whatever so that they wouldn't be able to reproduce. And therefore, um, um, it, it made them a safer um, servant in that role. Now, that doesn't justify having a harem, but this was the practice in many, in many places. Um, and so there are some eunuchs who are made that way by men, And they're also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not positive, but I think what that means is they have taken a vow of celibacy for the kingdom of heaven. It's not a physical thing in their case. It's a voluntary choice that they make for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's largely what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 7, where there's great opportunity for those who are more flexible, uh, fewer uh, responsibilities and this kind of thing, to be able to give themselves completely to the Lord's service for as long as the Lord leads them to do that. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't eventually enter into marriage, but... um, Yeah, I, I, maybe a good example of that is Martin Luther, who was for quite a while single. I mean, as a monk and, and everything. Um, but he came to the Lord, and he um, uh, obviously was very active in in confronting the, the the heresies and so on in the Catholic Church and. Uh, that brought him actually quite a lot of danger, and he needed to be um, careful and flexible. But eventually, the Lord brought into his life his wife. And she was a former nun, uh, also kind of running from the establishment. And um, their marriage was quite a testimony to uh, the, the church and other believers during that time. And so there, there, there are just time periods where in God's sovereignty, he, he has people single, and there's a time when um, he, he uh, brings them a spouse, and that's another season of life, and uh, both are good. That's, that's the example. Um, on the top of page 55, it kind of goes one step further in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, yet I wish that all men were even as myself, as I myself am, that is, single. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner, and one in another in that. So, what is the gift he's referring to here? Well, uh, marriage is a gift from God. It's his design. He designs us for that. But, Some people have been given the gift of singleness for uh, either an extended period of time or maybe um, for their entire lives, Um, and they're just so focused on uh, serving the Lord that they're very content in that, they they see the advantages of that, and he, he just has taken away from them, if they ever had, that sort of longing for marriage—they've—they're just sold out to the Lord, and and God gifts some people with that ability, and that can be a good thing. But that's not necessarily everybody's uh, trajectory. Uh, not everybody is um, gifted in that way. Okay. So, there are also passages we'll look at here, and largely from 1 Corinthians 7, that speak to when it's better to marry than to remain single. There are some uh, advantages of singleness, but sometimes it's better to marry than to remain single. And it comes up a couple times here in 1 Corinthians 7, where if someone lacks self-control... So in verses 1 through 2, he begins this whole section by saying, now concerning the things about which you wrote, So, and he did this often, he would address things that they would have raised with him in previous letters and so on, correspondence. And so he wants to deal with those, including this one. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And then a little bit later in verses 8 and 9, he says, But I say to the unmarried and to widows, that it is good for them if they remain even as I, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So a, a lack of self-control here can show up in all sorts of uh, uh, thought patterns, behaviors um, that actually can undermine a person's walk with the Lord, undermine their their ability to minister for Him. And um, uh, marriage is good, and so um, um, in, in those cases, it's a good thing to avoid all those temptations and and uh, bad patterns of of behavior. Now, uh, to make this a little more complicated, um, when he says here in verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I, the question comes up, what what does he mean by the unmarried? Well, as we read um, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's speaking to several different kinds of people. He talks about the married, right? Here he talks about uh, the unmarried and widows, and so when he speaks of unmarried, he's thinking of them as different from widows, right? In verse 8. Um But if you go down to, look back on page 54 in the middle of that text, you see verse 34 from the same chapter. Um, And it's, in fact, I've got it in bold. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord. So here, in in verse 8, he said there's a distinction between the unmarried and widows. And here in verse 34, there's a distinction between the unmarried and the virgin, that is, the never married. So who would the unmarried be? Divorced. Yeah. I don't know that they they even... Yeah, they they probably had a word. I mean, he's speaking of divorce in this context, but he's not using um, the noun form for those who are divorced. It's everybody who is not a widow is not married and is not never married. That just leaves the divorce. So if that's the case, then in verse 8 when he says, but I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I, he's not referring to those who have never married in that passage. And yet it's probably those who were never married who try to apply this passage the most. Um, But as far as I can tell, he's speaking only to those who have been married and they're either widowed or divorced. Whether that divorce was a good divorce or not, he seems to be lumping them together. Um, Another time when it's better to marry than to remain single is brought out in 1 Timothy 5, and that is if you're a young widow. And so, um, starting in verse 9, he, he speaks to about widows, and the context here is, um, you know, particularly in, in those days, um, being a widow... A woman who was married and now her husband's died puts her in a lot of um, um, jeopardy. She probably, in most cases, had no means of support. Her husband's died. And so the question is how, you know, God had lots of provisions under the law for the provision of, of orphans and widows and so on. And so Paul is addressing that similar concern here for the church. And he says, starting in verse 9, A widow is to be put on the list. What list? Well, as we read, we see that it's either been Paul's instruction or it's a fairly common practice that the churches would provide ongoing support for widows who had um, no other options. So they wouldn't be left in the cold, right? Uh, They would be, uh, the the church would be a help to those widows in an ongoing way. Not, Not just sort of the passing little gift, but just committed to their welfare as long as they had a need. So a widow is to be put on that list only if she is not less than 60 years old, which um, in that day and age probably was getting very close to the end of her life. Mm -hmm. Having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she's shown hospitality to strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So the idea here is not to just put any old widow on this list, but rather those who have been uh, responsible, faithful, and so on. But in verse 11 he says, But refuse to put younger widows on that list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And so, if they, if after their divorce—or not divorce—after they're widowed, they commit to the Lord to stay that way, and that's their intent. And then they regress, and they find that they can't fulfill that pledge. That's obviously a problem. Well, at the same time, they learn, he says here, to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely being idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, Paul writes, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for uh, reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So, um, a young widow may have no immediate um, means of of support, he says, but uh, they should do everything in their power to avoid um, a a misuse of that new freedom and instead uh, seek to be married again. Now, she can't necessarily just snap her fingers to to get married again, but he says they're, they're... their mindset ought to be to remarry. They're young. They still have the opportunity to uh, raise another family and so on. Um, so there would be a good, a good example. Uh, other things he mentioned earlier in the passage for supporting widows is that even before the church does, the um, uh, immediate family and extended family need to be involved in helping to... Um, ensure that she's not um, neglected but rather to help in her support and if if they are not sufficient or if they're not doing that or if she has no one else then the church should step in okay um, any questions so far yeah
1: it seems like the um, younger widows to get married again more like to keep them out of trouble. Is that something that I'm getting correctly?
0: Well, it, and actually, in both cases, both in First Corinthians and here in in First Timothy, it's um, keep them out of to avoid keep them out of unnecessary temptations. Like
1: that's one of the temptations. Yeah. That that gossiping and, and um,
0: all right. those things that. So being able to focus on responsibility is far better when otherwise you might be tempted to get into who knows what. Yeah. So there's something about having uh, responsibility, people depending on you, to be a good thing, right? Keep us focused. Well, it might be useful to also mention here on the bottom of page 55 that we, we hear from uh, Jesus about the future of marriage, that is, in eternity. Believers will not be married to one another in eternity. And, uh, you know, we've got this this uh, scenario here where the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, came to Jesus with this little hypothetical challenge to him about... Um, you know, the Leverite law where if um, a man dies and um, he and his wife have had no children, then the brother of that man should take her as his wife and raise up children for his deceased brother. And so they raise this scenario where there are seven brothers and all of them had her at one point and none of them produced any children. And so they ask him, in the resurrection, therefore, this is their trick of Jesus, uh, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will uh, of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. And they thought, oh, we've got it now, mm-hmm. right? But Jesus said, you're mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. It doesn't say they become angels. What does it say? They're like angels in what respect? They're not married. Nobody who has died and gone to heaven uh, is married. Now, will will married couples who both end up in heaven be able to recognize each other? Yes. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. But um, they're, they're not resuming their marriage in heaven. Everyone is just, there is no marriage in heaven, except one. What's that? The marriage of the bride of Christ, the church, with Christ, right? And so um, the church is the bride of Christ, and with that marriage set to take place in heaven during the tribulation period. tribulation down below here on earth, but upstairs, up in heaven, it's going to be... um, the wedding feast of the Lamb. You can look forward to that. Okay. Uh, Page 56, we've got some key examples of biblical figures who were single, of course, Jesus. John the Baptist as well. Paul, at least as much as we know about him. Uh, Daniel and certainly many others. And what's notable about each of these is they have lots of uh, flexibility, time, and whatever to devote to the Lord's work. Okay, so that's all well and good, but um, what, what advice can we give to those who are um, single, let's say, um, single adults, both male and female. How, how do God's uh, patterns and uh, roles for men and women relate to those who are single? Uh, we focused a lot on those roles within marriage, right? We focused on those roles in the church, But what about the interactions of single adults? Is there anything in the male and female roles that would apply to them? Well, clearly they're not bound by marriage roles, but um, they are bound by church roles for men and women. Now, there's no distinction here whether people are married or not. There are roles for women in the church. There are roles for men in the church and uh, that's without regard to whether they're single or not, right? Um, But it's still proper for single men and women to fulfill distinctly masculine and feminine roles, particularly because that builds the right kind of habits for maybe later when they are married, and also it helps them to fulfill the roles that are distinct within the church. So, for example, men, single men, should protect all women, whether they're single, married, or whoever, just treat women as those who uh, they take responsibility to protect. Uh, they should honor women by extending them various courtesies, allowing them to go first or you know, holding the door for them, whatever. Um, and just showing deference to and honor to women. It's a good habit for men to get into um, even before they're married, right? Uh, to, men should also lead in respectful ways when appropriate. Now, not in every uh, context would would uh, single men lead, say, single women um but there are um, lots of advantages to getting in the mindset, preparing for marriage, let's say. Lord, I'm, I'm hoping you know, you'll bring me a spouse someday. Um, well, one of, the, one of the things to prepare is, in our thinking is to begin taking on... Um, Some appropriate roles, not everything, but just um, uh, exercising responsible leadership, men, um, whether you're married or not. And then, fourth, treating single women as sisters. Um, You know, when you're young, the way you treat your sister is probably not a good pattern. For how, <laughs> uh, for how you should treat them, but as sisters in the Lord, yes, treat them as, as um, well, and, and that's why you would want to protect them and to serve them and to be a good, um, a lead for them. But women, single women, likewise. Should gracefully accept the protection, leadership, and courtesies provided for them by men, including single women. Um, one of the easiest ways to undermine a, a single young man's attempt to move into adult responsibility and 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 having a healthy uh, respect for women is for women to reject that. Um, So gracefully accept that. I can open my own door. Yeah, but get used to someone else showing you the courtesy. Uh, Exercise modestly. Uh, What I mean here is not just when you're exercising. I mean... Show modesty um, in in all aspects of life. In fact, we're going to talk about that um, a lot next week. Third, rely on the protection and guidance of your father. If your father is still alive, and uh, whether he's a believer or not, he's probably um, uh, wanting to... um, Help you in all aspects of life, and to be there for you. And uh, there's something to be said for a young woman to become somewhat independent. But um, because, particularly if she has no clue of how long it might take until she eventually gets married, uh, there's a lot of value for her gaining work experience and being somewhat independent. But um, also there's great advantage to relying on um, the protection, the counsel, and so on, of your father. And then fourth, kind of the mirror image here, treat the single men as brothers. Not the way you would treat your brothers when you were little, but as fellow uh, believers, those who are... um, uh, seeking to become more like Christ, and seeking, hopefully, to treat you as their sister in Christ. Uh, And then, secondly, avoid the potential pitfalls of single living. Um, It seems that people tend to be single longer these days than maybe they were a generation or so ago. And there may be some advantages to that, but there could be some disadvantages. What's one of the disadvantages? You can get so much into a rut. I'm caring for myself. I'm, I've got a, everything under control. And um, it may be harder to make a transition to marriage the more independent you are, right? whether you're male or female. Uh, I happen to know, with some experience, that single men left to their own devices, if they're on their own, completely separate, and they're, you know, they've got a job, and they're you know, on their own, they tend to um, overlook a lot of the um, things in terms of their own lifestyle, that are probably not good.
2: Well, for example,
0: what do you mean? If, Well no, I don't know if I, if, if I cited that the right way. It's very easy for young men who are very independent and they've got like like even from the time they were teens, they think they're invincible, right? <coughs> um, but it's very easy for these young men to become very um, sloppy brutish, um, you'd faint if you go into their apartment and see how much of a wreck it is, right? Um, there's a lot to their their lifestyle that is very single-male-ish that might not be very good practice for eventual marriage. It's going to be a culture shock, right? I know someone like that. Yeah, there are a I lot of just people a like that. Yeah.
1: said I'm pulling into church. <laughs> He's at the
0: movies. Um, so that can re- express itself in all sorts of different ways, but um, I, I can tell you with some authority that it makes a lot of difference to have a woman's touch in your life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and without that, men. Will tend to be sort of like your your soldier mindset, your um, uh, hermit, maybe I don't know, and
2: survivor basically.
0: Survivor maybe, but uh, just not paying any attention at all to a lot of things that that matter, even in terms of their own hygiene sometimes. I was just going to
1: say that the hygiene.
0: Yeah. So it can be all sorts of different things, but. Um, this would be a time for them to not drift off into that kind of lifestyle. Uh, I'm pretty sure that... Um, well, here's a case where maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing for them to take the advice of their mother. You know, if they need a woman's touch to ensure that they don't become just a, a, a brute then um, uh, don't disregard the advice of your mother. Uh, but by the same token, um, well, maybe I should say that, that usually, particularly if it's a believer, he gets married and there's a big transformation that takes place. You know, The way he would keep house versus the way that she would keep house like night and day difference. Um, But it's not just keeping the house. It's sort of standards of lifestyle and and this kind of thing that are um, potentially going to be a a new way of life for him that is a good thing. And um, uh, what... what, um, When a young man gets married, he, um, particularly if he's a believer, and he knows that he's now uh, responsible for this wife of his, um, it's usually a very sanctifying thing for him to uh, not do things that he would have otherwise done as a single, because he knows he's responsible for her and he's making decisions that he wouldn't have made quite the same way beforehand, and those are usually a step in the right direction. He's got that responsibility and so on. You bring children into the picture and it raises it up another level. I'm responsible for these little ones and this wife. He's usually making much better decisions at that point than he was as a single. Uh, Not that he should be making bad decisions as a single, Uh, He should be looking ahead, even as a single, and making decisions that would be more appropriate. But um, it's a good thing that a a wife and even children um, help this young man to uh, step up to the plate, as it were, right? And to fulfill his, his duties, to be responsible, to be thinking not just of himself, but thinking of others. It's all in the right direction. Um, but single women should learn to avoid becoming too masculine. I'm wearing the boots in this household because I'm the only one, right? I'm wearing the pants. Um, And if a young woman provides for herself, she's completely independent, she's managing everything well, um, all of that is good, but if that Makes the transition to marriage harder, makes her maybe more controlling, and
1: um, um, submission will be super hard. It would be harder,
0: yeah, yeah, to to assume her role as a wife would be harder if she's got such a long track record and experience and habits and probably success in managing her own affairs, and then not being. As submissive to her husband and his direction, and so on, uh, that can be hard. Pastor, yes. What
2: are your thoughts about um, prenuptial agreements when it's a case like that, when both parties could be older, financially stable, mm-hmm. and kind of unwilling to merge that that financial aspect of, mm-hmm. of their lives That's a good as as believers, or even? Yeah. I
0: believe that that can be yeah. Um, yeah. The question was about prenuptial agreements, particularly in situations like this where maybe they're older and more—they have more of a track record. Um, I think mostly—I may be wrong—but I think mostly prenuptial agreements are about here's what's going to happen if we have to divorce, and. Therefore, we're, because of that, we're going to keep things kind of separate and it's it's not going to be as messy if we have to divorce. Mm-hmm. Well, for a Christian, that shouldn't even be an option, right? Um, so if that's the case, then I think what you're asking is what if someone does have, you know, they enter into marriage, say, in, in midlife somewhere, right? And they've been very independent for many years. They've got lots of habits and even separate um financial arrangements and and whatever, uh, would it be advisable for them to continue that in marriage and agree to that up front? I think that's what you're asking. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's it's a hard and fast rule, but I think I would lean toward advising against that. Uh, If they're really entering into marriage, they need to view it as a marriage and not as two people who are roommates. Um, And a marriage is not just a very narrow definition. It's we're in this together for life. And so... Um,
2: but I think it's valid because what she's saying, this, these aren't spring chickens. You know, they've been through many years and who knows previous marriages. So it's it's that looming what if, even though you don't want that. No one goes to the altar wanting to fail. Do you, I, I get your point. Yeah, very but I, think I think it's the same for the other side too. Right. So, you know, entering into a marriage knowing... If you have this predefined thing, you know, looming in the back of your mind, right, then you can always kind of point to, I mean, I just think of like assets in general, right? Right. So if you have your own home, male, female, right, and then you decide to come together, but you still, one party still holds on to that home, well, what's the purpose for that, you know? And that could be kind of a thing that Satan uses, right? To cause right. division within the marriage. And so mm-hmm. I think just, I mean for the sake of understanding the heart and, you know, that communication factor is so important Absolutely. because yeah. you know, just just to be open and know where the other party's heart is. And if you guys come to an agreement, you know, I guess, and and the Lord provides wisdom in, in how you move forward with that. I guess that's one thing, but yeah, just to come hard and fast and say this is how it should be, you
0: know, I think it's hard to say. Well, I, I would be a little stronger than saying it's hard to say. I would say I would I would not recommend any prenuptial agreement, even for those kind of cases, even though there may be some exceptional cases. Mm-hmm. But the, the general principle ought to be that people enter into marriage whatever their history is knowing that God has created marriage to be uh, until death do us part and if that's the case we're bringing together not just um, where we live but all about us is joined into one flesh. That's God's perspective. I like
2: your point about you know, it can Satan can creep into that because in the back of your mind, I still have myself. I
0: have a way out.
2: I have a way out. Right? Yeah. Exactly,
3: yeah. But can't be healthy. for the believer,
0: thats that shouldn't even be on the table. Right? right? Mm-hmm. It's permanent. Any other questions, thoughts?
2: So becoming too masculine for the single female, it doesn't mean like physically or... No. You know, you build your own addition to the house. That's too masculine for a girl to
0: do. But I'm in charge. Yeah. And she carries that into the marriage, that can... The attitude. Re- add person. sparks. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So question
3: yeah. about the freedom to the um So I know in situations such as men, um, you know, married a married couple gets together, they have children, and... Depending on the state that you're married in, when it comes to um, custody of children, for example, um, visitation rights, parental rights, the little things, they vary from state to state. Um, so I've heard that there's traditional wisdom in having a prenuptial agreement in those situations to make everything more fair uh, right up front. So if somebody 10 to 12 years in the relationship decides to walk away, you already have this established united at the mercy of the courts
1: because that does happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, if, if a believer goes into marriage with that in the back of their mind, I think they're missing something about marriage.
2: Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's, it points to how sad our society has become mm-hmm. and that that's, you know, even something that as believers, right, that we are... To think that that's wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean that's kind of scary to think that. I mean, there's a lot of that worldliness that's kind of bled into Christian belief. You know, Christians and their beliefs. But I think we really need to assess that because that's where you know. Um, I mean that. That's, that's where you see a lot of Christians who, or people who say they're Christian, but their beliefs, you know, are contrary to what the Bible, what God intended, right? So.
0: And even if it's not a, a um, disbelief of God's design for marriage, um, having an arrangement like that can very easily um, bring temptation To um, to view the marriage as less permanent than God intends it to be. Yeah,
1: I have to respectfully disagree with that because man that has dated before, and we got the short end of the stick in court. We can easily say that's completely opposite, and I'm one of them. So when we go to court, and I don't know about Maryland. But in Virginia, it favors a woman, 90%. So if you go there with the idea that you're going to get a fair, you know, health, 50-50 of everything, that's not really the case. So in that, with that in the mind, I think that, that that actually will protect your life for the future, so you don't have to start all over again. Just... Something
0: that is just subjective. Yeah, um, but that's not a very biblical way to approach marriage. You know, if if we are if we are Christians, we're devoted to the Lord and we see his design for marriage, it's permanent, then that doesn't even show up. Right? Now people who become Christians after they uh, entered marriage and the marriage didn't go well but they became Christians later um, that's sort of in the category of, of these widows who the church is caring for there are, there are provisions for people who um, are suffering um, but they weren't necessarily following God's design from the outset what is marriage about right? Uh, are they even believers um And so my counsel to believers would be that they approach marriage as God designed it, to be permanent.
2: And
3: Uh, so would you say then, um, you know, kind of thinking about what you just shared, so two believers get married, well, at least so you thought, and then, you know, because you're saying maybe they... You know, later became saved, but it can also be, you know, they were both saved at least that was how things seemed. And then, um, the marriage went very badly, you know, because of what maybe one side was doing. So now there's a divorce, and then, you know, as he's saying, someone got the short end of the stick, and you're just left there, like, wow, I never. You know, one maybe never wanted this, all sorts of things. So I'm saying, and so do we just say, I mean, that's God's will in this situation. And so, you know, that's, I'm just wondering, like, where do we put that? It's one thing to think, look at things as, you know, gloriously happy and perfect in Christian land, but
0: there's still a lot of messiness that goes on for in sure. marriages right well um, that's true there are lots of cases where even among Christians there it gets messy and even the marriages are strained and sometimes uh, even Christians divorce one another um, often for the wrong reasons but God's perspective on that is that if they're uh, if they're both believers then they will uh, seek the help that's necessary to maintain the marriage that's true. and uh, that can be a, uh, a simple process or it could be a very and typically would be a very uh, prolonged process because um, Like you say, things get messy. But we don't just walk away from messiness, we we deal with them head on. And um, uh, in Christ, there is forgiveness, there is hope. Um, And to have an agreement before marriage that, well, if it doesn't work out, we've got a parachute, you know, um, that's just not consistent with God's design for marriage. So, um, there are lots of things that come into our lives where we make mistakes, others make mistakes for us, um, and we need to address those things head on. Well, anyway, um, I wanted to wrap up with some advice for singles who anticipate marriage someday. Um. Rather than focus on the qualities you want in a spouse, which is probably the most natural thing for people to do, focus instead on the qualities a spouse would want in you. And then pursue those. So become someone who would be a responsible husband. Become someone who would be a responsible wife. And let God do the rest, essentially. Pray that God would develop you and a future spouse he has for you into the image of Christ. Um, so if that's our focus, then I think very often you'll be quite surprised with what the Lord does. Uh, some advice, particularly for young men, establish yourself economically, whether it's education to invest in your future, um, uh, a job, various disciplines, and so on. Uh, establish yourself before seeking a wife, because she's going to depend on your ability to support her. Don't pursue a career that would make it difficult to support a family or would undermine your ability to be an effective husband or father. Um, And some advice for young women, don't pursue a career that would impinge on your ability to give 100% to your role someday as a wife and mother. Uh, in fact, prepare yourself for those roles. Uh, college training can be good for young women. We sent both of our daughters to college, uh, particularly a broad grounding in scripture and the liberal arts, which will serve you well as a discipler of your children. Uh, or if you never have children and you've got opportunity to to work in other ways, you're, you're prepared for that. But in both cases, understand and develop your spiritual gifts. Be active in ministry during this period. You've got lots of opportunities that you probably won't have later in life. Keep yourself pure from sexual sin, even in your thoughts. We're commanded to flee immorality, right? And avoid situations that are likely to present temptations. And Become accountable to others outside of your family, so maybe in a small group, uh, older mentors, uh, lots of possible ways, but become accountable, and that will help you to to grow and be prepared for uh, marriage eventually if that's your desire. Okay. Any questions there?
1: Um, is this the reason why in the U.S. for a long time the, the teaching role was they were to, you know, be given to women? Would they pursue that because they can use it at home and teach their kids as well?
0: Oh, so, you mean like teaching in schools?
1: Yeah, teaching in schools and then they can use that knowledge at home to, you know.
0: Possibly. You know. I, I don't know much about the history of formal education, I think there have been both men and women involved for a long time, but um, I think a lot of women grew up from, you know, being girls who were very focused on the role of her mother, you know, and and mimicking her responsibilities and role, and so they play with dolls and, and play family and that kind of thing. It's sort of been natural. And for many, that may lead them to an interest in training up younger children. I say like, that because possibly.
1: In, in Ecuador, where we're from, that's the role that my mom is the oldest daughter. She was given the, the, the role, you're going to be the teacher because you will be helping in the house for this. Mm-hmm. And my grandma was a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. So when we have the the next generation, they were like, okay, well, you will be the teacher again because you're a girl. Kind of like helping that profession would be helping at home as well. I was just wondering if that's similar to what happened in South America as
0: right? well. Possibly. Possibly, but another hand.
3: Uh, I was just going to say a lot of like women's colleges in like the 40s and 50s, because my grandma was a teacher, were just, they just
1: had teaching programs for women. That was the only career they could pursue. So, yeah, that's all I had. So, some historical. Yeah. So, it was the only choice at that time. Yeah. Okay, oh, kind of Yeah. And a lot of men don't go into um, education because it's not really a
3: high paying position. So if you were raised to provide for your family, you would probably pursue um, you're a
1: you're career and something able else. To support your partner as a yeah, teacher. That's sure. right. It makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Some do and are able to. hmm Yeah. Sometimes uh Yeah, that's a good point. And by infatuation, I think mostly what that boils down to is is uh, being attracted to appearance, the externals, rather than the internals. Yeah. Oh, and I have a comment about um, page
3: 55: um, whether it's better to marry than to remain single. If you lack self-control. Um, <laughs> someone told me um, this is someone that's a deacon in the church said that you know when you're divorced you get a pass on um, you know restraining from um, having sex. What? Yeah. He said he gets a pass. because he he's divorced. <laughs> and I said, well, I said run that by your pastor and let me know what he says did he ever get back to you No.
0: We didn't. <laughs> yeah well certainly no basis for that in scripture I mean we just read here yeah. okay let's pray